Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. As I sat down to prepare what I would talk about today, I started considering what might be on other people's minds. The wintry weather, someone might be moving, someone going home from rehab or from the hospital, someone planning a funeral, someone planning for a new addition to their family, someone perhaps planning a wedding, someone hoping to meet a soulmate and live happily ever after. Flower shop folks are working overtime getting ready for Valentine's Day. Which leads me to the topic I have had on my mind all week, love. When you hear the word love, what comes to your mind? The word love is used in so many ways. You might love the state Wolfpack or the Carolina Tar Heels. You might love ice cream or new shoes or a new car or Girl Scout cookies. And certainly you love your spouse and your children and grandchildren if you are fortunate enough to have some. If you were to start a sentence with I love and then you fill in the blank, the possibilities are virtually endless. But before I get into my main topic today, the greatest love of all time, I want to share with you the love story of Billy Graham and Ruth Bell. This story is from the One Year Christian History book by Michael and Sharon Rustin from February the 7th. Ruth Bell could never quite remember the first time she met Billy Graham, but for Billy, it was love at first sight. One day in 1940, as Billy and a friend were driving through the streets of Wheaton, Illinois, talking about their girlfriends, Billy's friend told him he thought Ruth was beautiful. She's the second nicest girl on campus, the nicest being my girl, of course. The second nicest girl was the 20-year-old daughter of Presbyterian missionaries to China. Ruth was studying to be a missionary as well. Billy, already an ordained Baptist minister at 21, was also a student at Wheaton and felt called to be an evangelist. Their first meeting in November was unremarkable for Ruth, but Billy remembered everything about it, the hallway, the friends she was chatting with, her slight smile. I fell in love right that minute, he later told her, reconstructing the moment she could not remember. A month later, Billy mustered his courage and asked her out on their first date, a concert performance of Handel's Messiah. That night, Billy made a more lasting impression. Ruth returned to her rooming house and wrote in her diary, Bill is a real inspiration. Because, I suppose, he is a man of one purpose, and that one purpose controls his whole heart and life. He is dead in earnest, yet richly endowed with the fruit of the Spirit, humble, thoughtful, unpretentious, courteous. Then she closed her diary, knelt beside the bed, and prayed, God, if you let me serve you with that man. I would consider it the greatest privilege of my life. Billy had already written home to his parents that Ruth was the girl he intended to marry, but his friends cautioned him to dampen his enthusiasm for Ruth lest he scare her away. So for the next six weeks, Billy avoided her altogether. Ruth finally took matters into her own hands and invited him to a house party. Billy issued a counter-invitation to come hear him preach in Chicago that same night. Friday, February the 7th, 1941. That second date was unconventional. Ruth sat in a pew while Billy preached. The authority with which he spoke, she later mused in her journal, the humility, the fearlessness, 
the star seen and admired from afar became a human, personal thing within reach. Billy drove Ruth home, walked her to the door, and said good night, and then hesitated. There's something I'd like you to make a matter of definite prayer, he said. Ruth remembered even the cloud of breath that hung in the cold air between them. I have been taking you out because I am more than interested in you and have been since the day we were introduced last fall. But I know you have been called to the mission field, and I'm not definite. Truth be told, Billy felt a clear call to evangelism, but he later revealed that at that moment he was so in love with her that the most he could make himself admit was that he did not feel definitely called to foreign missions. Ruth was smitten. That night, she couldn't sleep and ended a dreamy journal entry with the thought, something big has happened. In spite of their mutual love, Ruth wrestled with the thought of giving up missions to be the wife of an evangelist, foreseeing many more evenings like their second date, alone in the pew or at home while Billy preached. But as they prayed, God showed them that they were called to each other, and two and a half years later, Ruth Bell became Mrs. Billy Graham. Under the reflections, after this reading, says, have you ever felt something big happening in your life? When you do, look to God for His direction and His answer. God is just as interested in your life choices as He was in the lives of Ruth and Billy Graham. As you are making your choices in life, perhaps concerning a life partner, I want to share with you something I read in the newspaper a few months ago. It was an answer to someone who was frustrated that they had not found a soulmate. And I quote, As to your frustration at not finding a soulmate, let me urge you to have patience and devote your free time to social service. The best way to find a mate with good values and spiritual roots is to go to places where people like that are doing good things. They find each other by finding God in the eyes of a hungry child or a homeless veteran, end of quote. And I would like to add on mission trips and other places of ministry, including church. So many books and songs and poems have been written about love, and certainly love is a glorious thing. If you have people in your life who truly love you, you are indeed blessed, and I certainly hope that you do. But even if perhaps you feel all alone in the world and that nobody cares about you or that no one loves you, I want to assure you that that is not true. There is one who has known you and loved you before you were even born into this world. You might ask, how can this be? I want to read to you some of the words of David as recorded in the 139th Psalm from the Life Application Bible, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand. When far away, you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment, you know where I am. You know what I am going to say before I even say it. You both precede and follow me and place your hand of blessing on my head. This is too glorious, too wonderful to believe. I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the morning winds to the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. If I try to hide in the darkness, the night becomes light around me, for even darkness cannot hide from God. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. 
Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn toward me, and when I wake in the morning, you are still thinking of me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So here David is telling us that God, our Creator, knows all about us and has since before we were born, and God loves us. Now how can we know that God really loves us? From the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, beginning in verse 1, But now the Lord who created you, O Israel, says, Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior, the Holy One of Israel. Some have died that you might live. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me and honored and I love you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. There is no other God. There never was and never will be. I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. I alone am he who blots away your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Isn't it wonderful and comforting to know that not only does God forgive our sins, but He never thinks of them again? Now, those of you who are married or have relatives or close friends, these special people may forgive you for something you did or something you said, but it would be an extremely rare person indeed who would never even think of it again. I'm glad God never thinks of our sins again. What a great friend to have. You know, when Adam and Eve were in the most perfect place in the world, the Garden of Eden, that was created especially for them, they were disobedient to God, and sin entered that perfect world, and it is still here today, which is evident to us every day. Sin is all around us and all over our world. The television, radio, and newspapers report it daily, if not several times each day. Many years later, after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, God saw the evil in the world, and it really bothered him. From the book of Genesis, chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, When the Lord God saw the extent of human wickedness, and that the trend and direction of men's lives were only towards evil, he was sorry he had made them. It broke his heart. And he said, I will blot out from the face of the earth all mankind that I created. Yes, and the animals too, and the reptiles and the birds, for I am sorry I made them. But Noah was a pleasure to the Lord. He was the only truly righteous man living on the earth at that time. When I studied the book of Genesis and the story of Noah several years ago in BSF, it encouraged me and gave me hope, and I hope that it might do the same for you. The Bible says that Noah was the only righteous man on earth, and yet seven other people were on that ark with Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives, and evidently they were not righteous like Noah but God saved them too. So if you are the only one in your family or one of the very few trying to live a good life that God can bless, I hope you will persevere in this manner. You never know what the impact your faithfulness to God will have on others who are watching you. Some of my favorite Bible verses from Romans are found in chapter 5, starting in verse 3. 
We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Then when that happens, we are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens and know that all is well, for we know how dearly God loves us, and we feel this warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Well, as you can imagine, even though Noah was a righteous man and God saved him and his family, as the years went by, evil once again permeated the earth. But being God, I'm sure he knew all this would happen, and he had one final plan to save the people of this world. And that plan involved sending his very own son down from heaven to earth to be born and live as a human being. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible is John 3.16. As a matter of fact, if you could condense the message of the entire Bible down to just one verse, it would probably be that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus lived on earth about 33 years before he was killed by religious leaders who were jealous and afraid of this perfect man who performed countless miracles, even raising some people from the dead. From Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, when we were utterly helpless with no way of escape, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for him. Even if we were good, we really wouldn't expect anyone to die for us, though of course that might be barely possible. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since by his blood he did all this for us as sinners, how much more will he do for us now that he has declared us not guilty? Now he will save us from all of God's wrath to come. And since when we were his enemies, we were brought back to God by the death of his son, what blessings he must have for us now that we are his friends, and he is living with us. Now we rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done in dying for our sins, making us friends of God. From the notes for these last few verses, while we were still sinners, these are amazing words. God sent Jesus Christ to die for us, not because we were good enough, but because he loved us so much. Whenever you feel uncertain about God's love for you, remember that he loved you even before you turned to him. The love that caused Christ to die is the same love that sends the Holy Spirit to live in us and bless us every day. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saved you and is available to you in your daily life. Be assured that having begun a life with Christ, you have a reserve of power and love to call on each day for help to meet every challenge or trial. Just as you can pray for forgiveness, you can pray for God's power and love as you need it. Christ took our sins upon himself and paid the price for them with his own death. Now the way to friendship with God has been opened through faith in his work. We become his friends rather than enemies and outcasts. One of my all-time favorite hymns written by Joseph Shriven will be familiar to many of you. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. One of the most familiar passages from the New Testament is often read at weddings, and I actually heard it read at a funeral in the past year. These are the words of Paul as recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as I read these verses, if you can substitute your own name for love every time it is mentioned, you will know you are getting closer to Jesus and being able to show his love to others. Reading selected verses, beginning with verse 4 of chapter 13 and then the first verse of chapter 14. Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. All the special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end, but love goes on forever. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Let love be your greatest aim. I'm sure that nearly everyone has heard of the Ten Commandments, even if you can't quote them. These were the rules God gave to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. The commandments can be found in the Old Testament in the 20th chapter of Exodus and also repeated in the 5th chapter of Deuteronomy. Later on in the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 22, the disciple Matthew records the religious leaders questioning Jesus about which of the commands in the laws of Moses was the most important one. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only these, and you will find that you are obeying all the others. As recorded in the book of John in chapter 13, Jesus said, And so I am giving a new commandment to you now. Love each other just as much as I love you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, obey me, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, and he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who leads into all truth. The one who obeys me is the one who loves me, and because he loves me, my Father will love him, and I will too, and I will reveal myself to him. I will only reveal myself to those who love me and obey me. The Father will love them too, and we will come to them and live with them. Anyone who doesn't obey me doesn't love me. And in chapter 15 of John, Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Live within my love. 
When you obey me, you are living in my love, just as I obey my Father and live in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your cup of joy will overflow. I demand that you love each other as much as I love you. And here is how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you obey me. It was only a short while after this that Jesus demonstrated this greatest love by taking our sins upon himself and being crucified on the cross. He who had no sin died for our sins, so that we who believe in him can have our sins forgiven and blotted out forever in the sight of God and live forever in heaven with him. What a wonderful promise and hope we find in John 3.16. Those who believe in Jesus will never be disappointed. From chapter 10 of Romans, For if you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your own heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in his heart that a man becomes right with God, and with his mouth he tells others of his faith, confirming his salvation. For the scriptures tell us that no one who believes in Christ will ever be disappointed. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I would like you to listen to these words from Paul as recorded in the last several verses of Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God himself. Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. In closing, hear Paul's words in the last two verses of Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, and life can't. The angels won't, and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow or where we are, high above the sky, or in the deepest ocean, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. Thank you for listening.
to him I give ever to him I'll cling in his blessing presence live and ever his praises sing love so mighty and so it merits my soul's best song Faithful, loving, service to, to Him to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 